Hey everybody, uh, this episode I talked to Betty Avila, Associate Director of Self-Help Graphics. Self-Help Graphics is one of those really, just really important uh, organizations in Los Angeles that have been around for a really long time uh, and really uh, is at the center of, of art creation and, and cultural creation and, and supporting youth and just a lot of awesome stuff. So we talked to her about the organization, their upcoming Dia de los Muertos events in Los Angeles. And uh, we actually both know each other from college. And so it was just a nice opportunity to reconnect with someone from my past that I hadn't talked to in a long time. So that was really awesome. It was really great. Yay. All right, buddy. Well, enjoy Dia de los Muertos. Uh, this is coming, you know, it's coming up. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, bye. Hey, buddy. Hello. So uh, tell us your name and where are we, please? So I'm Betty Avila, Associate Director of Self-Help Graphics, and we are at um, our currently off-site office, um, and we'll be moving ourselves back into our main building uh, probably in the next few weeks. Okay, cool. And just for folks, if you hear like a buzzing sound in the background, there's some construction going on. And Betty, yeah. Sorry about that. Betty doesn't have wings. She's on a bee. Yeah. It turns out. Um, so yeah, we'll be back in the building. Um, we're... Really excited about getting back in there, actually. We have a lot of uh, awesome what's the, what's the direction? coming up. What's the address, I mean? Oh, it's uh, 1300 East 1st Street uh, in Boyle Heights, and it's directly across the street from the Pico Aliso Gold Line stop. Cool. So um, just in terms of just order, as I'm thinking about it, so let's talk about self-help graphics a bit, just what the organization is, and then let's talk about Boyle Heights in general, because I think um, Boyle Heights itself is a really interesting, exciting place for all the changes that are happening uh, the resistance to those changes, and just like the really rooted, um, not necessarily activism per se, but like just rooted cultural makers that are in this town. Mm-hmm. How, how, so, does that sound? how does that sound? Yeah, it sounds good. All right, awesome. Um, so Cell Hope Graphics was founded uh, in 1973, and I love the story. Um, it was founded by a chain-smoking nun. Uh, really? Yeah, I Sister Karen Bocalero, um, and she totally had that reputation. Uh, but she, did she really like chain-smoke just all the time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's totally that's that's the story. Um, and she, they they started in a garage. Um, it was actually I think um, three nuns in total, um, and essentially started connecting with the community in East LA um, and. Because the medium of printmaking is such a, a democratic one, it's um, you know it's it's not terribly complicated. It's something that um, you can you can learn. Um, and it's and largely it's, the same process since its inception. Correct. Right. It's, yeah. it's, me- it's been mechanized in certain ways, but at its basis, it's ink. It's an object that gets the ink, and it's a screen that gets laid over. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was. It was kind of the the perfect um, platform for Chicanos in the '70s to um, to express themselves and express their uh, their concerns with the situation in the '70s. Um, and it's it's an incredible place that has sprung just world-renowned artists. So many artists have come through self-graphic stores. Um, I mean, you know, obviously you think of the big ones, Asco. And everybody in Osco, Gronk, uh, Patsy Valdez, um, and some of, gosh, some of the bigger artists, um, and and even now, a lot of our our more contemporary artists have have come through at some point, uh, and there's there's definitely a sense of 
uh, I think, gratitude to the organization um, and just a, a real sense of this is a, an important historical place. Um, and, you know, even though we, we have since moved uh, from the building that was on Cesar Chavez and Gage, the, the beautiful thing about self-help is that we really, despite the difficulty in moving, the organization itself is surviving mm-hmm. because it's needed, because people support it. Uh, we're still providing a space that allows Latino and Chicano artists in LA um, to explore and to really grow and hone their craft. So. I think there's also just a lot, not that many organizations that still hold so much of their mission from the 70s, from that direct line from the 70s. Right, you have Chicano Studies Departments, you have these other sort of spaces, but they've morphed and changed in ways that are arguably better or worse. But here, it's, it's still fundamentally the same type of mission. Yeah, no, totally. I think we're, we're very focused on, um, on producing great art uh, and supporting the artists. Um, and we've expanded programming, um, so we have a really robust youth program. Uh, it's year-round, and I think that, that to me is really... Say more about, what, so what does the youth program encompass? What, what goes on there? So there's a few. So we have um, an after-school program that's in partnership with CalArts, mm-hmm. and that's actually a, a multimedia program, and so they sort of get to um, explore different... They go like into video making and think digital, digital arts. Um, and so that's sort of uh, during the academic year, and then we have our summer program, the Soy Artista program, um, that's essentially like art summer school. Mm. And it's, it's incredible how, you know, despite being around for 40 years and how much has changed in the city of LA, the, the reason that self-help was founded is still relevant. Um, youth in the area are still dealing with the same issues. Um, yeah, say more what, what, relevant in what way. So, I mean, you know, they're just, they're dealing with um, with displacement, with gentrification, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that later. Um, they're, you know, it's they're not getting art in schools. Um, there's I think a it's whole... probably worse since the. I mean, because I remember, like, I'm 33. I remember when I was young in Montebello. We had I went I went one year with art and one year just to cut it. It just completely got rid of it mm-hmm. in the mid mm-hmm. mid 80s, and they never yeah. gotten it back. No, well, I, I mean, know. there was kind of a heyday of arts and schools, and and yeah, it it did get cut, and it was severe. Um, but I remember, I remember sensing it so deeply because I remember expressing myself I, as a young child. I remember that, yeah. And then it was just ripped away from me, and I remember how much I needed, it, and I, it's probably why I started doing, I started playing classical guitar because I, I needed a, you needed an a medium or something, yeah. You know, and it's not like, and it's again like, I was just learning the English language. I was a very young person, but it's still the drive to say something and to express an idea was still there. Totally. You know, and that's not specific to me, right? That's everyone, that's everyone has a voice. It's everywhere. Totally. And I, I mean, for us too, it's, it's, it's not just about printing. It's, um, we have an aerosol art program as well, and that's very youth-focused. Aerosol art, like, uh, like, like graffiti, graffiti art? art. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like how you describe it to your funders. That's totally how we describe it to the funders because <laughs> it's kind of hard to say it's kind of hard to say graffiti art when you're <laughs> applying for a grant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so we we have awesome graffiti artists. Um, one in particular who who runs that program, and it's it's always well attended. Um, all of our programs are always well attended, mm-hmm. and I think I mean when you look at a program like Day of the Dead, which we've been hosting for forty years, forty plus years. Uh, the numbers just keep growing. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from 8,000 to 10,000. Um, obviously, we're hoping to push that a little bit more this year. 
but it's it's needed. There's there's a need for this organization to exist and organizations like it. Yeah, I think the two threads that I think of is is um, so culture as resistance, right? So like art isn't just art for its own sake, especially for displaced communities. And then like growing up, Dia de los Muertos wasn't really on my radar. It wasn't really part of my con- even though I, both my parents were immigrants and uh, we spoke Spanish and all those different sort of factors and, and identifiers. We just never embraced that. And that was something that came into my life, you know, totally. as an adult. Same here. And I wonder, I wonder like, why, why that has spiked so much? Like, well, where does where's that coming from? It's interesting. I, I don't know. I think as, as a holiday itself, um, it's very beautiful. Right. It's really, it's visually engaging. Um, the way that self-help graphics runs it, it's very tactile. And, and and different from like Western society, we are we are in, in within that through that tradition, we are actively engaging with our our pasados, absolutely in a way that like and it's yeah it, it is it is very non-Western because yeah. it's it's a way of of honoring the ancestry um, and you know it, being very sober about it. I think the the ceremonia piece of it is is more serious, um, but also it's a celebration yeah. celebration of life yeah. and death. And who we love and yeah. how they're still with us but not with us and how their presence is still with us. Exactly. And so I, I think, I imagine that as somebody who's not familiar with the culture, it, it is a really captivating um, experience. And so, you know, the fact that you now have all of these other yeah. pretty big productions of Day of the Dead in Los Angeles. Before. That was not there Yeah, no, it totally was not. It, it's come up in the last, I would say, five years. Um and we sort of keep track over here like, of how many are popping up because we were, we were the first on the West Coast. Um, there's an organization in the Bay Area that I think also may have started right around the same time. Mm. Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but um, I mean, we may have been the first in the country mm-hmm. and it's the longest running definitely in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm thinking about like the, the cemetery, the event they do every year. Hollywood, Hollywood Cemetery, yeah, Hollywood Forever. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking about how in San Francisco on the mission, they do a day little mortos, but now it's like being overrun by like just drunk white kids. That yeah. Are, they're just sort of like, I don't know, they're appropriate. To, it's, not, it's not just appropriation, right? They're just deeply disrespecting it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think for, for us, it continues to be a very community oriented um, event. We don't have alcohol mm. the way that other, um, other celebrations do. We, we still include the procession. Um, we have workshops leading up to the actual event itself every Saturday of the month of October uh, where people are making papel picado, um, flores de papel. Uh, they're building these huge, awesome paper mache calacas and, um, and masks as well. So mm-hmm. it's the experience that self-help graphics provides is so different from I think what you get at a place like Hollywood Forever which is a little bit more commercialized mm. a lot bit more commercialized well, it's, an, it's an event it's not yeah. it's not driven by a desire to build a yeah, community it's not and, a program and to give that community a platform exactly um, and they charge now I mean there's now. Just, it's also just really shitty to park there too yeah, no, it's, it's just like impossible it's awful we at least have a gold line here which is good <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's a different. There's a very different intention in it, um, and it, like you, I also was not familiar with the holiday until um, actually I was introduced to self-help graphics. Um, and for me, in that sense, Day of the Dead really represents um, my biculturalism mm-hmm. because it's not. It's so not you know part of my 
my Mexican raíces. Um, but it's very much a part of my identity as a Latina in LA. Mm, yeah, right. So it, it holds a sort of special place for me. Um, but so this year, can I talk about the event a little bit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this year, <laughs> our it's our 42nd annual Day of the Dead, and um, because there's Day of the Dead events everywhere, um, we wanted to stand out a little bit. So we've partnered with the folks from Barrio Boogie. Mm. So um, they're doing cool stuff. That's, yeah, they're doing they good do. things. Yeah. Um, so they're gonna come out and uh, they're programming some of the stage and. We're hoping to get folks out in their, you know, their best bachuco gear. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll have yeah. some cars, actually, um, mm. from a car club. And uh, the headliner is Brenton Wood. So um, I was not familiar with him when I first was told he was going to be headlining. Um, but after hearing the music, like, if you just look him up, he's totally the guy that the all the, like, veteranos would be playing in a car, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. cruising down Whittier. Is, like that that. Going, is that what you're going for? Is this like this yeah, kind of, uh, uh, yeah. It's East like let, let's do like a very let's do a very throwback, very East LA, yeah. East Side um, Distinct Day of the Dead. Yeah. Because nobody else can claim that. Yeah. Um, so draw, so, draw from your identity as an organization that yeah. other is. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah. So no, so nobody. That's what we're doing. And hair uh, just isn't as good as it was back then. Uh-huh. Just the hairstyles and everything. It's just no. Just different. No, the the awesome um, time and energy people put into that look <laughs> is amazing. It's the best people watching. Yeah, yeah. I, I podcasted this woman Rosie, and and she's gotten Instagram famous because she just she throws up. She looks, yeah. Yeah, she just throws up photos of her looking like she's a pachuca back in the and people yeah. are often like, oh, is that your grandma's photo? And I'm like, no. I'm like, no, that's me. Yeah, and so yeah, no, weird. that's my favorite actually, and I particularly with the barrio boogies, like you go. Have you been to the event? No, but everyone always talks to me about it and trying to convince me to go. Yeah, you I got, will, you I will check it out. Do it. I will, I will. That's what I love about it because you have like the folks that are really true to the sort of the era, um, and then you have the the more cholo interpretations, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's I I love it. I think it's the the range and the spectrum is beautiful. Yeah. 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 Uh, so before we go into Highland Park a little bit, tell me about yourself, Betty. Where are you from? So are I'm you? from I'm from Cypress Park, which is still northeast LA. Um, yeah. So you can and, you can legitimately claim LA as home. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. skate. I grew up from Montebello, so I skate on it. And people get mad at me sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I can I'm, see downtown from my house where I grew up. So. Montebello's close enough. Yeah, it's close. But I was on like the East LA side of it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm born and raised in Cypress Park. My parents still live there. Um, Obviously, went to Pitzer with you, um, and then did some traveling, lived in Korea, uh, but always knew that I was going to come back and work within the arts, and I think I was always very clear on, um, I, I don't, I'm not doing this work for the sake of art. It's not about art for art's sake for me. I think it's always been about transforming communities and transforming um, lives. Through um, through whatever art it is, so was that, um, was that something that was a part of your life growing up? Are you an artist yourself? So I was actually I wasn't I was never a visual artist. I was a folklorico dancer for ten years, mm-hmm. um, and didn't ever really claim that as like an artistry uh, until very recently. Um, but I did an internship at the Getty, 
And oh, you did a Getty Multicultural one? I did a Getty so Multicultural right. undergraduate internship. Yeah. Like, straight, I was at the Getty Research Institute. Oh, I almost got, uh, that. I almost got that one. Yeah. And then the woman interviewing, that's probably one of the most basic, oops, sorry, one of the most racist experiences I had being interviewed because she was like trying to tell me how I should be a Chicano and just like this Dutch woman. Wow, okay. And I was like, uh, I get to decide how I Yeah, how you identify. Wow. Not just how I identify, but how I like Manifest how I perform it. that you know, identification, whatever. Yeah. She was just really like, and that was our interview. Oh, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, I'm not getting that. <laughs> and then I ended up at the DOS Center for the Arts in Florida. That's pretty cool though. Yeah, it was. That's cool too. Yeah. Um, but so the application for that really it's really extensive it is it's an extensive application um and i i ended up sort of exploring this idea of like needing to leave the hood in order to appreciate it um and really focusing on the murals of of northeast la and east la uh and so that um unlocked a lot of researching on on all of these artists that i later came to find out um were from self-help or had been associated with self-help um, but so that that was my sort of entree into the arts world was through that experience. Um, yeah, and it, was, it was good too because they had like the, the I'm, I'm sure they still had that where they had like the weekend events or the day events where an artist would take you around, you get yeah. behind the scenes they at like the, 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 they no, still do it. the Museum of uh, Contemporary Art. Mobile. Yeah, 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 no, that I was they, great. Like, they I just do, were... and, and they move it around. Yeah, it was they awesome. Do different ones. So yeah. no, the program is still running strong. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Gary College, you should apply to it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And you can apply multiple times. Like you can right. do it over many summers. So right. I totally recommend that. Um, it's, yeah, it's an awesome experience. And they pay you. So it's like a legit job. It's not like, like it's not like, because that's the hard thing about being a working class kid, trying to find your way yeah. into the nonprofit world is you're expected to like work for free, right? Totally. And they get advantaged over us. But um, the fact that they pay you is just really important too. Yeah. No, it's funny. I actually, my former boss was one of the people that um, was really involved in the shaping of that internship mm. and the the stipend piece of it is extremely important if yeah. you're trying to get um not white people right to go into this experience right. because otherwise you go into their profession yeah like just bring them in so that it, they could even consider it as a profession right. like it just put it on their radar yeah. um and it's it's always sort of interesting to hear people um talk about well like you know, I, I did an unpaid internship or whatever, and it's like, that's a luxury. That's a luxury. That's a luxury that not a lot of us have. And, so. I, and my family couldn't. Like, I was supporting my family throughout college. Like, yeah. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't just take off a summer and, like, be an intern. Exactly. Yeah, they couldn't support me. Yeah. No, so that that is sort of my, that, that was the route that I took. Um, and have worked in MacArthur Park, uh, most recently at the Music Center, and I've landed here now at Self-Help Graphics, which I think to me is kind of a, it's kind of a dream gig, and I'm not you know not starry-eyed about it like I, I know that it's it's not going to be an easy job but it's the it's best yeah no it's it's really the best place that I could have landed so it's exciting mm -hmm. cool yeah good for you yeah thanks yeah um oh and then you want to talk about Boyle Heights yeah let's talk about Boyle Heights so we're we're situated in Boyle Heights so just generally can we describe what Boyle Heights is yeah so Boyle Heights is like this it's the land between um downtown LA and the Arts District uh, and East LA. So you go over 
over any of the bridges really. Yeah. Um, from downtown east, and you Next you end river. up in yeah right over the river, and you end up in Boyle Heights. Uh, and it's and it's a fairly small because it really East LA really dominates the region, but mm-hmm. Boyle Heights is that entryway. But it has a really strong identity. Sure. Um, and what's interesting to me about it is that you know it has El Mercadito. Um, my parents would come shopping here on the weekends. We would always come to what used to be La Brooklyn until it was changed <laughs> to Cesar Chavez. Um, so even though I didn't grow up here, I, I just I feel connected to it because I was here often, uh, and it was a very familial thing. Um, but you have Mariachi Plaza too. And you have really Mariachi Plaza. Iconic. You have La Casa del Mexicano or um, the Mariachi, rather the the instrument store. Um, and it's such a, it doesn't feel small town, but it just feels like a really, um, it's dense, tight community. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and like everywhere else in LA and a lot of places it's dealing with the pending sort of gentrification, a lot of folks coming from, from downtown. Um, and then you have a lot of folks, unfortunately, who are, like me, getting pushed out of places like Highland Park and coming over to Boyle Heights because, I mean, it's literally the next thing that you can afford and it's still a place that you want to live in. Right. So I'm slowly, like, pushing over. I'm currently in El Sereno, but um, it's, it's starting to make its way over. I think what is amazing about Boyle Heights in a way that I can't... Um, I can't credit Highland Park and that community um, is that they're really fighting it. Boyle Heights is yeah. hyper aware of what's happening um, and they're very organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been youth demonstrations that was actually done through a self-help graphics program. Um, there, there have been town halls. Uh, Metro is going to do, basically going to knock down Marichi Plaza and build... Um, a parking lot really and yeah they were gonna build a parking lot across the street from the hospital but before they no like recently med- recently yeah the uh, fucking thing's named mariachi plaza yeah exactly well so it was still gonna be mariachi plaza but they were going to temporarily displace all of these businesses that are there um and then have uh, what would be you know commercial space on the ground floor of this building um and then i think residential flanked by the parking lot for the hospital yeah so um and there would be like a gym it would just it would be a very different place and so yeah metro metro got into a lot of hot water um because people were like what is this we Mm. don't know what you're doing like you didn't talk to us about this um they just tried to steamroll it yeah, I, I think they, you know, they may have gone through a process, but the community sort of came out and was like, you're not doing this. Like, mm. this is not happening. And so, um, and it hasn't. The, their metro is actually going back and really, like, starting over a little bit with that process. Um, and it's a result of people just being so aware and so in the know. Um, a couple years ago, there was, uh, there were, like, a Facebook posts about this bike ride, a bike tour of Boyle Heights that was going to be conducted by... Um, mm some sort of real estate company. And so it was encouraging folks who were unable to afford the arts district to look in Boyle Heights. Mm. Um, and it turned into this, it's totally snowballed. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. it snowballed. really intense. People 
as soon as they found out, they were like, this is not happening. We will come after you. <laughs> um, and it, it, it got canceled. Um, well, and, I, and I think in those moments, like, what's difficult is that um, we get characterized as the abrasive and hostile ones. But in exactly. reality, like, what they're doing is hostile. What they're doing is aggressive. What they're doing is demolishing exactly. what we call home, right? Like, totally. And the frame is on us because, obviously, because of racism and, and whatever else, right? Yeah. So we're, like, the pissed off brown we're people. The, we're the savages that, like, um, can't handle change, mm-hmm. right? Don't want modernity or whatever. But, I mean, it's it's happening. It's slowly slipping in. Um Across the street from Mayachi Plaza on Boyle, there's, I, I just realized or found out that there's a hostel. Um, really? Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of just tourists come through, folks come through. And it's, huh. it's always interesting to see, like, you know, the random, like, white guy walking down the street. Um, mm. You know, I, I'm now understanding, oh, he's probably a tourist and is staying at this hostel. I'm probably really confused. <laughs> uh, I'm probably really like, confused. Uh, but, um, and this is part of, the, part of the excitement and the danger of having a light rail, right? Because it makes it more accessible. Exactly. And that's a problem. It's like how, I mean, and that's actually the, the tough part of the conversation. It's always, do you improve the community for the community and then end up pushing them out? Right. All these unintended consequences, right? Mm-hmm. And the folks that are behind these things have their own plans that we're just not aware of. The developers and the political allies. And, right, yeah. You know. and, and that's part of the issue is that, like, you, it's a, kind of hard to identify who to blame. Yeah. Uh, and then you have organizations like ELAC, um, the East LA Community Corporation, that are, are doing everything they can to, to do just that, improve the community for this community um, and building affordable housing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they run into the same issues um, that I think, you know, folks are just upset. Cool, you want to build this great affordable housing um, residence here, but you're still going to displace me while you're building it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really uh, multi-layer conversation. Um, but the, the great thing, I think, about having a place like self-help here is that we are, we're so rooted in the community I think for me personally, I've always sort of struggled um, and there's always been that tension of how much of my work in, in the arts is contributing to this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have a, an organization like Self-Help that's really rooted in, in the struggle mm-hmm. of the community, it's... Well, it sort our, of our becomes an arbiter, arbiter for the tensions that exactly. the people are experiencing. Yeah, and I think we help folks sort of... Um, have a space to express Mm. um but it's it's a conversation that we're in the middle of like this community is dealing with this now and who knows what it'll look like in a few years but and i think the other piece of the other piece of that that i'm particularly sensitive to and partly why i wanted to create my website is is that the journalists aren't going to look at our communities and do those deep investigative dives and figure out who the developers are who they're connected to why they're giving them so much money Mm -hmm. do foias to get the government emails to see how much they've been talking you know, have a fucking source somewhere that can give them more detailed information. That level of of of, of, hard. of, deve- of devotion yeah. and like monetary resources to pull out together is just not happening in our communities, and we only hear about it once it's already decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, to the credit of the community, they're they're really informed um, in a way that I think Highland Park wasn't able to see coming. Yeah. It's sort of just, I mean, yeah. it happened gradually, but. Uh, by the time the community was able to really rally, now at this point it's it's a lot more of just 
preventing evictions and like how yeah. do we help these folks because this is happening yeah. it's kind of hard to um but it's it's also a reflection of the long-standing political orientation of, of the, the spaces that are here in Boyle Heights exactly as opposed to other places right totally so you just don't have that that sort of engaged political culture in Highland Park you did that you did that and it's a little bit more spread out too right um so that's that's part of it um but it's not to say that one's better than the other but that's just like kind of a the yeah. historical, the historical trajectory of what's happening. Yes. Yeah. No. There's much more of a political history here, uh, but oh, there's just something about Boyle Heights that is so um, intriguing to people. Like you have groups like the Ovarian Psychos that have come mm-hmm. out of here, um, and they, I, I love them. I was talking to somebody about them and like saying how you know it's so interesting. They have, they had a group come out and want to do a documentary on them. They, I was um, part of a meeting where there was a gentleman uh, journalist like scribbling down notes at this meeting and uh, I asked him like who are you where are you from you're a white dude so you it, you just stand out uh, and he's like oh I'm a reporter uh, from New York I'm writing a book on cycling and this group is really interesting like they're doing amazing work that's not being seen as much. Right. And it's part of the racial dynamics within the cycling community, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, you have you have these white documentarians coming in. You have this white reporter coming in to write about this group. And um, I think the group itself is not interested in uh, self-aggrandizing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're just doing what they want to be doing and are driven to do because they want to see this change. Um, and... It's very punk rock. Mm. It's like, we're awesome, and we straight up don't give a shit that all mm. these people are flocking here to mm. write about us or mm. make movies about us. And I, I think that there's that sense um, of the culture that's coming out of Boyle Heights. But, I mean, I, I don't know what the next step is uh, other than just trying to stave it off as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, and just um, support... I think part of it is too is supporting people's intuition as they see the changes happening and as they start like, oh, why, why is that happening? Why is that? Oh, looks things are changing. And like mm-hmm. not and not ignore that that sort of like first first look and first sense of like anxiety, right? Because they're people are right usually and they just kind of ignore it. They're like, oh, it's whatever. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And then like you know three years later, like, oh shit. Yeah, like I'm out. Oops. It's it's weird. Um, I mean, it's for my parents who are. Who live in Cypress Park and it, that neighborhood is considered um, like LA River adjacent. Mm. Um, they own their house. Mm. Like they, for them, seeing you know white people walking their dogs is kind of a great <laughs> sign. They're like, cool, our house is worth more. Right, right. Um, the federal government is pumping one billion dollars into really? the renovation of the the river. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like Frank Gehry's. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, so Whoa. I'm like, okay, mom and dad, you can never sell this house. Yeah, right, right. And so they're in a great situation. Um, and I always wonder, I'm like, how do these people that came with nothing from Mexico buy a house? Um, and I, I'm in a position where no I Because no one will, else wanted to live there. Because nobody else you know, wanted to live there. Yeah. And I am now in a position um, where I, I will likely never be able to afford a house right. in a neighborhood that I would want to live in. Right. I'd have to like go out to like what really Whittier, far, like, like San Bernardino, or, no, like far. San Bernardino, yeah. 
So I have friends who were displaced when we were in high school who, you know, ended up in like Bakersfield and Fresno and mm. just is what it is. But, um, I mean, I went all the way to Minneapolis. There you go. Yeah, like, you got like, pushed really far. Like, fuck it. <laughs> just going out. Kind of fortunate here. Yeah. And I want to live here and I want to come back here, but I'm also just like, I'm not going to, I don't it's know. A sacrifice. It's not even, yeah, it's definitely a sacrifice, but it's also just like, I grew up poor and I'm pretty middle class and I just want to enjoy my life mm-hmm. and I want to still be an activist and I want to still throw down hard but I also just like, don't want to live in that anxiety mm-hmm. and it's like I was living in the Bay Area most recently I'm just like I, the day to day anxiety of just like it cost me $300 a month just to get to work Yeah, it cost me $900 to live in the hood and get robbed and I'm like yeah. that's not no. I there's, no, there's nothing romantic about that right? no like, I was recently in the Bay um, I'd never been to Oakland uh, I had never been to Oakland. I had been to San Francisco. I'd been to um, Berkeley. I had never been to Oakland proper. I, I liked it. I had a great experience, um, but went hiking in Berkeley and had a really negative, uh, extremely racist experience. Mm. Uh, and the people I was with were just like, well, that's you, you got the full, mm-hmm. the full experience of the Bay Area. Because Oakland used to be like deeply working class and deeply person of color, and now that... Not in the deeply POC, and now that like the tech companies are pushing out of San Francisco and Oakland, it's changing their character. And yeah, and Brooklyn's always been just like a largely white place anyway. Totally, no, for sure. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't get to explore Oakland as much as I wanted to, but I, I think I very much saw in it characteristics that I see here in places like Boyle Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Very and, and Oakland has their own radical political history. The Panthers were really active. I mean, totally. their origins are in the Oakland. I mean, Oakland's an amazing place, but it also is a place with, um, as I mentioned before, I've, I've been robbed there, and it's not. And it's it's. It's not it's glamorous. Like, yeah, it's not glamorous, and it's just like it's neighborhood yeah. kids. I'm just like, come on, damn it, you know, like, I know, I get it, I get it. You're doing whatever you have to do to like, consume whatever you want or eat or whatever. I don't know. To get by, yeah. But I also just want to be part of this community, and I want to support the community. And just, you know. That's rough. Minneapolis seems better. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd live over there, but I would go visit. Uh, well, I come yeah. back here a lot anyway, so. I mean, you yeah. know, I just, I like being in part of different communities, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Tell different stories. Hmm. True. Hmm. Yeah. Anything else you can think of? Huh? Anything think, else you can think sorry, of? Sorry, I just got caught in my head. Um, what else? Uh, well, so what? What is there any sort of? Um, well, let's talk about the uh, leadership structure here. We've been talking a little bit about that on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the way that I came to be at Self Help, um, the organization uh, had a transition. So um, the previous executive director left. And they were trying to to get somebody to fill that role, and I think realized that may not be what they needed. Uh, the sort of traditional executive director that um, that does that really plays a, a super person, superhuman role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they they explored this other idea of like what happens when when you have a shared leadership model. And that was the conversation that I was engaged in um, right from the get-go. So uh, there's, I'm I'm younger than um, most um, 
than like a, you know your typical seasoned executive director coming in. Uh, and I, I think what's awesome is that the board really is seeing an opportunity to grow somebody from within. Mm -hmm. But I, I've come in as associate director, um, not executive, and I'm pretty much par on par with my colleague who's the director of programming. Um, and between he and I and our program associate, we're a team of three. We're really figuring out what what this looks like, what this model, um, what it's really going to do to help us be more efficient mm -hmm. in how we serve the community. Mm -hmm. I think that you know you often have these sort of stalls with um, yeah. hierarchy, right? And so, especially if you bring an AD from the outside, no matter how well intentioned, there's just like a an inertia that moves. The organization yeah. into this really like like stagnant like money driven sort mm -hmm. of enterprise and you lose yeah. a lot of your soul you know? totally and I for us it's like cool we're the the board has really um, this deeper level of accountability I guess yeah you know? and they're they're invested I think what's awesome is that the organization from staff to board is really invested in, in making this process work um so that so that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I think there was also a sense of like, let's get somebody in here who can really just bring a different energy. Um, and it's it's been. I mean, I've only been here a month now, so. Um, but you've still... been around the organization for some time, though. Yeah, I mean, this is just this is one of the places that I've always supported. Uh, literally since I've discovered it, its existence. It's just I've been around. I've come to the events. I've supported. Um, I've purchased art. I've brought friends to purchase art, and um, have, in whatever capacity I could, in my previous jobs, engaged artists through self-help. Mm -hmm. So um, for for me, that was always really big. It's like cool. Let's if if we're gonna hire an artist to do that. Let's call self-help and see who they can, mm. who they can connect us to, or who who they might suggest. Mm -hmm. um, so that that to me was always really important, um, and I I think they saw in me somebody who's who's been invested in the organization for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you do have roots in it. Definitely. But I haven't necessarily been on staff. Correct. I think yeah. it's important. Big deal. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Um, but it's it's coming along. It's it's an exciting time, I think, and for for us, we're really trying to own own this idea and sort of not try to fit this traditional mold of what a nonprofit is and how it runs. Uh, and and I think just across the board, that um, more traditional way of running an organization isn't. It's just not working anymore. It's just not responsive. It's really not. Well, and I think. Uh, I think the other thing I, that I'm hearing as well is that because uh, I think a lot of nonprofits when they go through a transition, it's a it's a period of anxiety and fear, mm -hmm. right? And so it sounds like for you all, you're really understanding it as an opportunity for embracing transition to see what what grows out of that. Exactly. As opposed to just trying to shut it shut down whatever interesting momentum happens. Yeah. No, and we're totally trying to capitalize on the momentum and and bring people back and bring people bring new folks in. Um, the the cool thing about self-help i think is that everybody everybody supports it mm -hmm. everybody wants it to succeed and if we're going into this process without these sort of um i don't know, like self-instilled uh challenges or obstacles or um, preconceived notions of how you should be running a nonprofit, um it, it gives us a lot of liberty mm -hmm. to sort of experiment and try. And I, I think one of the um, 
Because aside from like accounting requirements, you don't have to. Not, I mean, yeah, like, we, we have, we have our mission yeah. and have an we have our programs that are fulfilling that. We have a strong history that drives, that drives what yeah. we do, right? Like, and that, and history doesn't have to limit you. It gives you, it informs you and gives you breath. Exactly. Exactly. And so really pushing off from that, like, cool, how do we take this to the next level and, and grow it? So it's, it's an exciting time for the organization. I think it's, um, now that we're going to be back in the building, we'll be able to go back to sort of all of our regular robust programming and then really start visioning for for what's next is there any sort of project that um that you had in mind not necessarily to like create but that you really wanted to just like dive into really deeply is there just something that really just got your attention like i just really wanted to spend a lot of time on this Someone just speaks to you. Oh man! Well, and I I'm think, sure they're all important. Right? Yeah, it's, it's no, not, definitely. The question is like, what your favorite is. The question is like, what personally just like really connects with you. Yeah, I will. For me, the the number one thing was um, the youth work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in. Uh, I had one position where I was very, very involved with um, a cohort of youth volunteers, and empowering them to really take ownership of their community was was an experience for me that totally is like very selfish and just like <laughs> I just like doing it and being part of it um, that I, I just realized like okay I, I need to find a way to always be around young people uh, because there's something about seeing the world through a young person's eyes uh, or your younger person's eyes um, that to me is really uh, also liberating because I have like I remember like oh yeah this is what it was like when I didn't have to think about all these like mm. big adult ugly responsibility things, um, and also just viewing the world in a way that is not sort of marred by big life experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I missed that, so I, I left. I went to a job where I was very separated from the community. I was doing awesome work, public programs um, at a county facility, incredible, but the connection to the community was was lacking mm-hmm. uh and so i for me i needed to be back in a place where we could have you know teenagers walk in the door and be like hey what's up what's going on um on a regular basis mm. in addition to having them participate in our programs but really just providing a space mm-hmm. for people to be at and to um to feel welcome mm. that that to me was something that i needed i needed to go back to yeah, and I, when I when I think about working with youth too, I think about uh, also just like contrasting my experience with theirs, just to get a sense of like what's happening mm-hmm. in the, whatever geography that I came up from, or mm-hmm. you know, especially like seeing what what really what really sort of gets my attention now is seeing all these like young kids like skateboarding, having this like long. Their aesthetic is just so different than like what because I totally. where I was growing up was a lot of gangbangers and stuff, so like bald heads, like big khakis, and here they're just like little rockero kids. Yeah, just, no, like, it's, it's it cracks different. me up. You know? It's different. So I guess it's like, okay, well, what's the sensibility in the community? Like, what's changing, you know? And why is it changing? And, and they don't necessarily know because it's kind of an abstract question, but it's also just like, it's important just to be in dialogue and just to figure out where the community is going. Yeah, and, and to know what's affecting them. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's also, like, fascinating. I recently, through one of our workshops, met a 16-year-old um, who we were doing a workshop in a park and I didn't realize that the the lady who was selling the hot dogs was her mom. Oh shit! Um, so she's there with her brothers, and they're mm. you know they're making paper flowers and just chatting with her. 
you know, it turns out that she's going to uh, a STEM-focused high school. She does, uh, like, a coding class at Cal State LA for teens. Like computer, like software Computer coding, coding yeah. Um, and mm. there was, like, some, like, third amazing program that she's doing. And I'm like, how incredible uh, that, that that exists, Yeah, right. first of all. And then secondly, that, uh, that she's able to tap into all of these resources. Right. Uh, while her mom is like selling, you know, dirty dogs at the park. Mm. Um, so you call them dirty dogs. Dirty dogs, yeah. The, the, the LA, them, the bacon wrapped hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. We call them uh, um, like artery bombs or something. Oh, that's also very appropriate <laughs> title for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even even just thinking about you know what kind of what kind of resources were around when I was a teen. Yeah. Coding was just like that not on the radar at all. It was nowhere near what we were doing. Yeah. So it my sister did something, but it was like really rudimentary in that. And she like she liked it, but it wasn't and that's, that's and that's kind of the tragedy that when I think of like the experience that like my sister, my siblings and I had growing up is is we had interest. We had a lot of energy and drive to like consume and and, and engage with things. Like my, my sister liked she used to make these books. Like just write these books and make them and fabricate Very them around. Cool. She's really into coding, and just there was nothing that there was nothing available that, and my parents didn't know, and we didn't have any money, but nothing that fertilized those ideas and gave it breath and depth, you know. And not that my sister's unhappy now; like she's a very fulfilling yeah. life, and I love my sister. But but you know, what could have been with the right support? Yeah. yeah. And what makes it a question is because other people do have that support. Mm-hmm. So it's also the tragedy of what we get, what's taken away from us, you know, all the time. Totally. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, it's it's something that I'm. I'm now back in, and I love it. I'm all about um, connecting and understanding and sort of... I, I'm doing a lot of listening right now and trying to just... Um, well, you're pretty new, so yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still demo, very new. Demo better, yeah. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> learning and observing taking place, um, but, but that, that is one of the pieces that really brought me, brought me in. And it's like, the, it's like the tentative but exciting process of just having a new job and then figuring out... What, what appropriate time can you start discerning yourself and asserting your own ideas? Yeah, you know, in definitely. Respectfully respecting everybody else and, and that whole process. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially in a place like this where there's, um, I mean, there's just so much history. And I, I've already gotten um, a sense of, like, when I've been meeting folks, folks that have been around for a long time, folks that are around in the 70s, uh, I've gotten the sort of like, well, you know, self-help is a really, has a long-standing history and, you know, (laughs) it's it's a very important place. And so I'm, you know, sort of trying to establish that I I know just how important this place Mm -hmm. is. And Mm -hmm. I I don't take for granted that that I was hired, um, you know, and even though I wasn't there in the 70s, it's it's something that... um, I, I don't take lightly. I take the responsibility really, really seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the same token, like as a historian myself, doing a PhD program in it, the, the history isn't necessarily, history is what informs us, it isn't what restricts us, right? Correct, yeah. Exactly. And I think for, for me, all the more reason now to really focus on the future of self-help. Like what is, what, what, who is the future Gronk? Um, and it's it's an interesting balance, I think, between like, supporting and really touting and boosting um, the legacy of these artists that have come out of here uh, and at the same time supporting and growing 
the young emerging artists mm -hmm. that are coming through our doors. Um, so that that's a balance I'm I'm also learning, but uh, really excited about just diving in. I think that's been sort of my take from the get go. Like, mm. let's do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we're almost near an hour. Is there anything else you'd like to to plug or talk about? I don't think so. I mean, I think definitely if if people are around um, Boyle Heights on November 1st, come through to Day of the Dead. Uh, we'll be there from 4 to 10. Full lineup of stage. We'll have lots of um, artist vendors, and craft lots of, vendors. Lots of live bands, right? Whole lot of live bands um, and food. So come through. Yeah, artists have been featured on this podcast. Yeah, like Harukuroi. I love those folks. They're uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have, um, so yeah, Brenton Wood, The Wise Guys, yeah. El Harukuroi, Metralleta de Oro. Ridiculous. Yeah. They've gotten really big. They have recorded albums and stuff. Yeah. And I, I was in high school in March of Man when they just started their thing, and they were just a bunch of dudes cussing at each other and playing really loudly. Super cool. And we'll now they become something. Yeah. No, and like one of the guys thing. is like a council member now where I grew up. Oh, wow. Uh, Mr. I can't remember his first name. Uh, I think Art Barajas, yeah. Wow. He's the band leader, and he's probably, I think still the council member one of all. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the big thing. Come on out. Celebrate celebrate where it started in L.A. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Cool. Thank you.